Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The Guardian. Cafe Auto has become a bit of a, a crown jewel. It is by far the most critical listening room, I think, in, in, in London. But in terms of supporting or impacting like underground music, I think it's made a huge contribution. There are other small venues, and they're all important to different people in different ways. But Cafe Otto is the place where everybody wants to play and which has built up an audience. The programming there is mind-blowing, so I have to sort of catch myself. Otherwise, I would have to go there with a sleeping bag. It's a clubhouse, you know, for, for, for a lot of us, you know. My name is Thurston Moore. I'm a musician living in London, and I'm here telling the story of Cafe Auto, our electric clubhouse in East London. So I'm Hamish Dunbar and I started Cafe Otto with my partner Keiko in uh, April 2008. We were scouring around looking for places and we stumbled down this back kind of cut through Dalston Junction and we saw this boarded up space and we found out who was renting it. Um, well they weren't renting it at the time, it had been empty for a couple of years. We found out who owned it and we asked them if they'd rent it to us. My name's Beatrice Dillon and I'm a musician from London. The idea for Otto was kind of floating around for quite a while between Keiko and Hamish. They were pretty excited when they found it. It was kind of down around this corner that there wasn't really much going on. Well, there was a lot going on in that, around the, in that corner, but, you know, maybe not what... I don't know, Dawson was a very different place in 2008. I'm David Toop. I'm a musician, a writer, a curator. I've been playing in London since maybe 1967, 68. There, there have been times when there have been important venues, and then there have been other times when there have been virtually no venues. And my opinion is that music really needs uh, a stable venue. For the sort of stuff that we were putting on, there wasn't an obvious dedicated space for it. The Red Rose had been putting some things on, um, but it, I think it closed down just before we opened or very shortly afterwards. There were small places around, but they felt um, very chilly and very severe. And, you know, they catered to a very narrow vision of what 
this kind of music could be. Something needed to come along, probably run by younger people, probably with a more open attitude. I had heard about Cafe Auto when it first started because it was where all the experimental music seemed to be happening. I was struck by how Spartan it was. You know, uh, just a simple room, uh, no stage, uh, a, a simple, somewhat jerry-rigged PA system. It was very bare bones. It felt open enough and un in a way it hadn't been marked by anybody else or any other thing. I think that was quite important. We weren't taking on a space that's been run by people previously that had a certain imprint on it. It was, it was a relatively blank space. You know, we were making it up as we went along and learning a lot about the music as we went. Everybody local wants to play there. Everybody from the rest of the UK wants to play there. Everybody touring from Europe or the US or Japan or wherever wants to play there. And then all of these kind of legends like the Art Ensemble of Chicago, you know, the Sun Ra Orchestra. Extraordinarily enough, that's where they're playing as well. John Chandler. I worked at Cafe Otto for quite a few years. I was the senior producer up until 2014. I'd seen a listing for a concert that was going to happen in a couple of months' time before Otto had actually opened. And then I had a friend, uh, her name's Saya, she plays in a group called Tennis Coats. She was coming to the UK to work on a record and I just said, hey, do you want to play a concert while you're in town? I see there's this new place opening called Cafe Otto. It has a, you know, Otto is a Japanese word. Maybe, maybe it's something they're interested in. And so I wrote to Hamish, said, would they be open in time? And he was like, I would really like to do that show. We'll be, we'll be open. You know, we'll make sure we're ready. And the first time I went there it was still like rubble and like mess everywhere because, you know, it had taken a lot of work to get it in the shape it's in now. That concert with Sire uh, ended up being the first ever concert that happened there. Hamish and Keiko are pretty determined people, and when they do something, they do it really well. There was always like a sincerity to the things they put on, and they were meaningful. They cared about it. I remember walking there and being excited to see this place and to see what they'd put on. And it's, this sounds such a cliche, but it actually was quite a warm spring evening. The whole place was so raw, they hadn't really sort of been able to do much there. It was all kind of quite bare strip lighting, and I guess it was just some chairs that they'd managed to sort of couple together. I turned up and there wasn't a mixing desk. There was a PA system, but there was no mixing desk to, you know, I'd, I'd luckily brought my own, so. I was trying to do the, the sound engineering myself and doing an awful job of it. But it was, it was a great show and it was very simple and it suited the space really well. I have no idea how many people came. I think it was probably 
probably 30 or 40 maybe. filter was set up by me and Keiko but quite quickly there was a gang of volunteers that started helping out on the door and helping out with the shows and a community group grew around it quite quickly. You can really tell when a room is sort of it's primarily about the communitarian uh, interest in just sort of the love of the creativity of the music and I think that's Cafe Auto's premise anyway it wasn't it's not there to be capitalizing on, on, uh, on this music. Not that this music made anybody rich in the first place, but it's, it's just not. I mean, it's, 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 um, it's a completely volunteer system to sort of facilitate this music being alive. In that, in that respect, it's, just, it's, it's, it's an incredible place politically. My name is Midori Ogata, and I'm a daytime cafe manager at Cafe Otto. Straight away, I got to know Hamish and Keiko because I was there quite regularly. I think it was in early 2009, I went to see a show and I arrived and then I saw Keiko at the front desk. She looked at me saying, oh, you know what, a volunteer just pulled out. I just need somebody to help me. Eventually, you know, they asked me if I wanted to be a cafe manager. I've been working there for nearly nine years now. I'm quite sure that most people find it difficult to leave the place. There's been a really nice group of people who would come and help out on the door. And sometimes there were some people who would be there every day for years, it felt like. People came and wanted to help out because of that feeling of being kind of part of something and it was a social thing. Whether it was people who wanted to learn more or experience more of the music or they just wanted to have a super nice group of people to hang out with. There's such a closeness to it all. I was so sort of, both me and Keiko, we were, you know, we were totally burnt out and knackered all the time and existing in a slightly kind of frenzied state. But it was very, uh, it was very immediate and it was very close and it was, and we were just there for it all.
know, we were winging it. We were dropping out emails to people saying, look, we've opened the space, this is what we're trying to do. And I was always amazed at how many people would get back and say, sure, I'll fly over and play. And you think, well, you know, we're, we're in this little back street and we've opened this thing and we're just kind of crossing our fingers and hoping enough people come to your concert. And, uh, you know, remarkably they, they did and it, and, it, and, it, and it worked, but it was very, it was very precarious. And it was only possible because of that goodwill from the musicians and from the audiences and from the volunteers. In the 1970s, a lot of international musicians came to London. I think maybe it was easier to do so. Then that seemed to dry up. And in the 90s, as online communications, emails proliferated, then musicians started to get really mobile. But it wasn't easy to get into this country. One of the things that Café Otto has done is, is really help that. So you'll constantly have these touring groups or touring musicians collaborating with musicians here. So I started checking the Café Otto website for the shows. And then August, I think, 2008, the Cass Bloom was doing three nights residency. And I thought, wow, this venue is doing like three nights. I thought that was insane. <laughs> no, seriously, I thought, I really thought like, wow, like how can they do this? In many ways, the residencies were a really basic practical thing of how can we afford to get someone to come here and play, given that the space isn't huge, given that we did, you never had very much money. You know, obviously we weren't a jazz club. We were trying to do something which didn't quite have a very clear definition. I think the residencies helped create an idea in people's minds about what it was that we were, we were trying to do. The fact that you can offer a residency, it's really exciting to see how that works. And when I get asked to do it, it's just like, it's, it's, you know, it's like opening a candy store. Like, going, <laughs> what can you do for two, three nights, you know, with different people? I think the first residency was Ken Mikami. And I have almost no recollection about how it came about. I think Keiko must have written to him. And I can't remember how we got his email. And he said yes and came. And that, that was that.
It's funny, when I, when I sort of go abroad and talk to people about London and the state of London music scenes, people always say, oh, the Café Otto sound. And it's that thing that you say, well, what do you mean? There's no, that's absolutely the antithesis of that place. There is no sound. It's deliberately open, but, but it's also not in the way that, you know, these good projects are difficult to pin down. It was always really tricky to sort of explain and justify the principle for why you booked what you did. Because obviously some people would really want to play there. It's hard to explain to them why actually it doesn't really fit or that that's not going to work here. I often think to myself, well, you know, what is it that we're doing? What What is the underlying connecting thing between all this music? And I think essentially it's some underlying idea behind the music that is... Maybe that's political or social, or it has a, it has a purpose bigger and, and, and more powerful than that. We're in such a strange and distressing state at the moment with you know, the uncertainty of Brexit and what the implications of that are. But, you know, the dynamism of, of that kind of internationalism, you can't even reduce it to saying, well, it's just the experimental music scene or it's just the improvised music scene because there's a very wide variety of music happens at Café Otto. The diversity of audience it attracts is inspiring, I think, and that has a positive impact on the music. You know, when I'm here, I, I travel a lot, so when I am here, just looking at the listings, and it's invariably just, the programming there is mind-blowing. I mean, for me, it's just like it just plays within my, you know, my, my, my love of uh, experimental music. So I have to sort of catch myself, otherwise I would have to go there with a sleeping bag, you know, <laughs> or a cot. I think some people do check our newsletter's website thinking that Café Auto has something interesting, rather than, oh, you know, I want to see this group, why are they playing? That's a big difference. And uh, maybe some people don't even realise that that's what we've, you know, sort of created. And that's something special, I think. For me, the most important things in a music venue is that there's a sense of energy shared between the audience and the performer. And I think that Otto does this up there with the best of any other space that I've been in. Because it's one big open room, you can you know, just walk off the street and go straight into that, that particular environment, what's going on there. There's no stage, there's no barriers, there's no doors. I don't know if that was kind of by design or they, the character of the place was formed because of that. It is by far the most critical listening room, I think, in, in, in London uh, for new music. And I realized that immediately and I just thought the place was really charmed. Uh, I think the vibe in the room, just from what was going on in there uh, for the, even that first year, uh, really activated that room and sort of gave it a, a really um, wonderful sort of, you know, effervescence, you know. Uh, Otto is kind of fun to play at. It's quite stressful because you can't hide behind anything. They're right there. The audience are literally right in front of you. But that kind of gives you an adrenaline rush. 
and it means that you can try stuff that's quite quiet and quite, you know, intimate and small scale. The listening audiences at Café Autour are amazing. I think a code of conduct develops and you can't really say how it happens. People behave in a certain way and nobody's telling them to do that. Nobody's being authoritarian about it, but it happens. Sometimes at Café Auto, it seems the more difficult the music is, the more, the more people come to sort of experience what that is or what that could be. It's really encouraging. I don't think it encourages musicians like myself to make more difficult music, but it certainly gives value to the, to the players and the music. That maybe didn't exist in um, previous generations as much. You know. you know, I think one of the things about most venues is that they have a kind of administrative skin. There's none of that in Café Auto. Basically, you're sitting on the same unstable chairs when you play, or you're using the same table to put your stuff up that somebody might have been using the previous night to put their drinks on. And that, that lack of distance is really important, I think, even though it can be hard sometimes. My name's Abby Thomas. I'm the, the digital archivist at Café Otto. Um, I joined in 2015. It's kind of my responsibility to make sure that all the documentation is kind of bundled up uh, and stored safely. The venue's only about 150 capacity, and if A, you're not from London, or not even England, um, then you're not going to make these shows that are often unrepeatable as well. So, yeah, a massive idea behind the archive is, is sharing what does go on um, for people that can't really get to the shows. We're trying to, to pull together all these things that we've done and have, it, have the space where people can find out about the music, maybe without being able to come to the venue. It's, it's always nice to look at those downloads and look at the addresses coming in and see the people are downloading stuff from, you know, Taiwan or or wherever it happens to be, and to feel that there's, there is that international community of people who are following what you're doing and interested in it. For me, it's, it's, it's been really nice to kind of chart a bit of a history of the music um, and piece certain artists together through just having a, a massive catalogue and kind of seeing how it all fits together. I kind of dream of this space online where you could come to Otto and kind of just play around in this like free listening space. One day I kind of dream of the archive becoming a bit like that. I think the process that we went through in starting and forming Otto, the fact that, it, that we started it when we were 
you know, still in our 20s and, and that we didn't have a lot of money or we didn't have a strong plan of what, where we were going with it was important to, to, to what it's become. If from the start we had come at it with considerable amounts of funding and a big five-year plan, it, it would have become a different thing. I think that Café Otto has definitely made a contribution to increasing the visibility of uh, other kind of music in London, definitely, partly because there's something happening there every night. In terms of supporting or impacting like underground music, I think it's made a huge contribution. The fact that under this one roof so many different things have happened and can happen has kind of, you know, fueled people's interest in that kind of music a lot. You know, there's, a, there's now a group of musicians who grew up with that space, who some of them, you know, worked behind the bar some of the time, some of them volunteered, some of them weren't even playing music when they first came into contact with Café Otto. And it's started to, over time, have an impact on their way of thinking. Otto is still here and still going, I think, largely based on extraordinary amounts of generosity, not just from the people who work there, but the people who come out to concerts all the time and kind of make the space what it is, and to the musicians who will play for, you know, way less than I think they're really worth. At some point, the venue will close because most venues do, unless they're the Royal Albert Hall. And then things will be thrown up in the air again. And new people will have to come along and reinvent. And, you know, that's part of life. It's, it's part of the necessity of renewal. I would say Cafe Auto is one of the reasons that keeps me alive. I think if Cafe Auto didn't exist, it would sort of force my hand into kind of um, starting my own place. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I've been playing this kind of music, whatever this kind of music is, for nearly 50 years now. And the fact that there's a venue that I'm very happy to play in that is really close to people in that way where I can really experiment with what I'm doing. For me, as, as an artist, it means I can continue to grow even though I'm approaching old age, you know? And that, to me, is a truly experimental situation. You know? It's a kind of perfect situation.
For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.